Well, this is a beautiful, a beautiful moment in time to be with you all. Um, Joanne Sevier, entrepreneur. You're in my building, the Sherman Phoenix. Woohoo! Um, and here, because AmFam believed in this beautiful vision that was created to continue communities of care around wealth building. I'm not going to talk too much because I need to say who I'm here with. My beautiful co-host. Who are you? Hey, everyone. I'm Linnea Williams. First of all, I want to thank everybody for being here because... You guys being here just means that this conversation matters. Um, I was talking to a few people talking about how we all have these conversations around entrepreneurship and closing the wealth gap and all that in silos, right? Like these are conversations around, you know, we're drinking wine with our friends having these conversations now. So this is a safe space um, Joanne and I created so that we can have these conversations as a community and um, kind of from a perspective of like, uh, non-judgmental and kind of not talking at you, but just including everybody in the conversation. So I'm Linnea Williams, and um, I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, my company's name is Birthday Girl, and I'm also a social activist for the Kimmet Institute, which is a financial um, empowerment platform that was founded by Rashawn Williams. So Rashawn Williams, if you will tell us who you are and um, how you got started in this industry. Great. Thank you. First and foremost, I'm Linnea's husband, Rashawn Williams. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, mer- I'm in between this really powerful couple. I'm feeling really powerful today. I feel like somebody. I am somebody. <laughs> and I met her because she was pitching her company to me as an investor. Uh, man, six years ago or something like that. Uh, I'm a venture capitalist by trade. I run a venture capital fund. We manage a billion dollars. And it's mostly very rich white people's money. And I invest in tech companies. Worked on Wall Street for uh, a decade, Goldman Sachs, Deutsche Bank before that. Went to Morehouse from Chicago. My cousin lived right across the street from over here. Family moved from Chicago to Milwaukee to Green Bay because of the Section 8. We talked about that. Um, And I come from probably one of the poorest neighborhoods in Chicago, which is uh, 88th and Princeton area. And I went to High Park High School. So for the last 20 years, I've been teaching what I learned working with rich billionaires back to my community. And this is the first time that I've been invited on a platform like this to amplify that message. So I really appreciate AmFam and these wonderful ladies here, especially the one that I'm married to. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's nepotism at its finest. But anyway, we'll take it. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. (laughs) That's actually part of the conversation, Joanne. We're always talking about how, like, you know, for me as an entrepreneur, when I started uh, Birthday Girl, um, I originally am a writer and performer, and I started a business because naturally I had a flair for entrepreneurship, and um, things were working out. So we always talk about how I, f- I really feel like now is the best time that connections matter the most, right? So like you being my husband, being on this podcast, yeah, I'll take it. Right. Like even, you know, us giving opportunities to the younger kids coming, um, coming up after us. It's like things that we had to work so hard for. They don't have to do what we had to do. They don't have to fight, scrape and, you know, do all these things. So it's interesting knowing that we've come from humble beginnings, kind of got ourselves to this space. And now the people coming after us don't have to. They don't have to question anymore how. Right. Like, how do I get there? Um, So even from a venture capital perspective, raising funding for my company, um, it was all just mysterious. Like, how do I get this money? How do I meet these VCs? 
Like, and, and people who were in the door used to make it more confusing. Yeah. <laughs> they used to seem like they were magicians, like your company, right? And they just would like ended up in this space. Right. And they almost like felt pride in keeping us out. And, and Joanne and I talk about how predatory that felt. So this platform is breaking that that ceiling. It's no longer going to be predatory. Guess what? We're giving you the answer to the test. We're introducing you to the people. <laughs> and that's it. And we're, we're making it feel comfortable. And again, it's safe because we all had a trajectory of experiences. Some of us have experienced tremendous success. And then fail. Oh, so we yes. retreat. And so it's how do we diminish the shame maybe that's associated with failure and think about what's the next win. Yep. And so that's something that we intend to do together is say, this is for you. Your next win is here. Or you're winning, right? You got a million dollars in the bank and you don't know what to do with it. And so there's a trajectory of opportunity that we want this platform to be um, a point of exposure. Exactly. So we thought no better way to start this podcast than to, A, just explain what it is and why we decided that we were the Perfect. best people. <laughs> just going and to do it. <laughs> um, but also introduce you to Rashawn Williams, who builds an entire curriculum around financial literacy and has been doing so for 20 years, even when Instagram wasn't watching. Right. <laughs> And his why. So, Rashawn, if you could tell us about yourself, your background, and kind of um, everything about Pimmit Institute that makes it the your priority, by the way. He does it way more than... And before you do that, I want to say that there's a tremendous amount of compassion in which you operate. Yes. And so we've all... I mean, we've been around a lot of tremendously wealthy people, but there's this sense of entitlement and ownership and yeah. that it's not for us. So you make this knowledge... So if you're not following him, follow him on <laughs> IG. Because then you know that wealth belongs to us. There's a legacy that belongs to us. This Ooh. is our birthright. This is for us. So I'm so thankful that you've made that commitment. Well, I appreciate it. I'm trying to think how I've ever told this story. I don't think anyone's ever asked me why. Um, normally people are asking me for money. But if you ask me why, <laughs> um, I, made a, I made a contract with God a long time ago. Mm. Wow. So... Mm. Let me tell you mm. why I made the contract, and I'll tell you what that. the contract I was. I was too busy was. asking for money. <laughs> he was my first investor. He was my angel investor, right? Mm. So I'm 12 years old. I'm in Chicago. And in the same year, um, I saw my best friend get shot and killed in front of me. I uh, had a new principal at my eighth grade uh, school. We had a terrible kind of principal and teachers. New teacher comes in. He's like the lean on me guy when mm. Samuel Jackson was playing. Yeah, yeah. I think. Joe Clark. Joe, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was like the Joe Clark, right? Um, his name is Mr. Mosby. Um, so that happened. And the most important thing that happened was I was sitting in church. My grandfather was a pastor, 127th Street in Wabash, Christ Everlasting Church. And I'm sitting there. You know, when your grandfather's the pastor, you got to go to Sunday school. You got to go to church. You got to go to second, Wednesday. third service, Wednesday. It's so all of this. So I'm sitting there like, man, this is so boring. I can't believe I'm here. And I'm like, why is it that people like me can be born in Chicago or Milwaukee into these areas where so much drugs and crime and people getting killed? Like, what did I do to deserve that? I just didn't understand why God would put millions of young kids like me in these environments. So I was doubting God. And I, and I said in church, if you really exist, give me a sign. 
And I remember dozing off, and you know, like I did every week in church. And then I woke up, and that sign that I asked for, which I don't really talk about, but that sign was very clear, and it was there. So all three of these things uh, happening at the same time really gave me this opportunity where I had uh, a life-altering event that shocked me. I had someone in school who took a liking to me that helped me and give me the direction, get an education. And then I was finally connected to something that was bigger than me mm-hmm. that could help propel me out of my circumstances without me having the game plan myself. Mm-hmm. So when all of those things happened, all I needed to do was focus on the input and then God would focus on the output. So in high school, I got an opportunity to go to a better high school than I deserved, which is High Park, which is ironic because it's not even a great high school, but it was better than what I deserved. And I prayed every day for four years for three things. And the first thing was to get good grades so I can graduate from high school. Second thing was to graduate from high school so I can go to a good college. And the third thing was to go to a good college so I wouldn't be broke and struggling anymore. And I say, God, if you do those things to me and if you invest in me, then I will focus on reciprocating that back to my community in the same way that it was given to me. So he gave me those things in abundance. I got a 4.0 in high school and in college. Um, I got a job making six figures at 21 years old. I was a millionaire before I was 25. And I have a beautiful wife and family and everything that I ever imagined. So now for me... I have to give God a return on that investment. Wow. So I'm not moved by the celebrity of it or having a bunch of followers who love what I'm doing. I'm moved by giving God interest and a return on what was given to me. And I do that in the grassroots level by individually touching and impacting people on a daily basis. Not let's hear Rashawn speak one time and then like hear him speak again next year when we go to Afrotech. No, like send him a DM or make a comment and he will reply to every single person like he has for 22 years. Why does he do that? Because he's giving God that return. Mm, So for me, I do it because, and you and I have this philosophy and we share this. When you do that, you have a philosophy of give everything and expect nothing in return. Mm -hmm. So that's a very Zen uh, Buddhist type concept, but it helps me to continue to operate in a space where I've now made room for God to continue to bless me on different levels that I didn't even know about. If I would have just hoarded all of the things that he gave me, give me my 4.0, give me my job on Wall Street, and didn't give it away to people, I wouldn't make room for all of the new stuff that I was able to receive. So I keep being elevated and invested in. God is constantly, what are we on, a Series D now with God, for those of you who know investment terms, C, Series A, Series B, Series B. You get it. We're on a Series D now. We're in a pre-IPO round with God. And, uh, and as long as I keep honoring my end of the contract, God has never not delivered for me. So that's why I do it. Wow. That is touching. That was beautiful. And I think whenever we endeavor to do something for the greater good, that's where the return happens. Right. I think, I mean, ironically, right, we're all sitting here. Um, we just finished... Uh, pitch competition where kids right here, uh, you know, were pitching their startups as if they were uh, literally pitching a series. They were already millionaires. Millionaires. Killing it. Mm -hmm. And guess what? The venue, the co-host here, my co-host, 
is the owner of this venue and it, the sponsorship from American Family. It's like everybody, it's a giving environment and we're really doing that thing what you're talking about is ecosystem. give everything. It's, leaving, it becomes an ecosystem. It's, it's a lived reality. Yes. It's one thing to talk about it because there's a lot of coaches online. There's a lot of Instagram gurus. But when you really talk about <laughs> the truth. Why did he do that laugh though? Shots fired. <laughs> Someone in the audience snapping. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. We're not going to go there. We're so sweet. We're so sweet. But the reality is it's a counterbalance to the culture, right? It's really now we're saying, no, what we, what we need to do is to formulate a real commitment. And so what we see with the pitch and what we see with the VC Academy, what we see with American Family Insurance is this ability to dream fearlessly. Yes. Because the dreams are not just dream, dream. That sounds great. But what's the support mechanism to ensure that the dreams are brought to fruition? Yeah. And so that's the conversation that we're having. You guys could be anywhere in the world, but you made a decision to be in community for four weeks at a time. You made a decision to launch this podcast to reach hundreds of thousands, because I'm claiming that. Yeah. Right? And the ultimate return on our series, DC, I, I can still learn, I can still <laughs> learn a couple of things, is... But the, the young folks is the old people such as myself that may not feel like they have a next chance or a next step. So when I follow you on Instagram, you speak to all of the trajectories. You say, are you making $30,000 a year? This is what you need to do. Yes. Are you making $60,000? This is what you need to do. Do you have a million? So how did you gr- create that formula and understand that there's a message? Because sometimes people don't feel like this is for us. Right. At every level, right? It's not just people who are millionaires who could do better. Yeah. But it's people who, you know, at all stages. That That's a great question. How did, how did you come up with that curriculum? I stole it. So I, uh, <laughs> I basically looked at, I said, in our community, we really suffer from the lack of education when it comes to finances. But where do we really win and mm. outperform? Where would you guys guess? Where do we win and outperform? Sports. Sports and entertainment. Beauty. So I said, okay, so let's use the NBA for an example. There was a time when the NBA didn't have any black people. Mm. And there were no black millionaires from the NBA. So what happened in our community, now we're the number one export of NBA players. Mm. So the easiest way to figure that out is look at what NBA did in the past, but look at what they're doing right now with NBA Africa. So what they said was, we got all of these African NBA players, and you guys know about it all too well up here, mm-hmm. winning, um, who Box come from Africa. <laughs> How do we tap into them and get the, this natural talent and get them more interested in the NBA as opposed to soccer? So they did a multi-tiered ecosystem, which is what you guys are alluding to here. Mm-hmm. And that multi-tiered ecosystem starts from exposure. Hey, did you know you could be an NBA player? Look at Luau Dang. Look at all of these NBA players who are from your country, from your neighborhood, from your town. So then, culturally, the kids start to say, I want that person to be my role model, as opposed to a drug dealer or a rapper. They want an NBA player to be their role model. Then, the school system picks that up, and they create basketball courts in every school, and in the neighborhood, basketball courts on every corner, even in the projects, basketball courts. Mm-hmm. Now the kids can play basketball at school, at home. They wear basketball shoes. They got posters on the wall, basketball players, basketball video game, and they're watching every game at home on TV. Hmm. Now, if you're really good and you make it to the top of the food chain from high school, you can get a scholarship to college. 99% of them never go to the pros, but they all get college paid for mm-hmm. because of basketball. And then the 1% that make it, 
become multi, multi-millionaires, and in some cases billionaires, and then they inspire the next generation. So what happens here is you have a league that is supporting programs in the community. You have players who are making millions, going out there, teaching kids with sports clinics and camps. You have coaches, you know, in elementary school and in high school. You got AAU teams. You have all of these things. And guess what did not stop black people from becoming great basketball players? Money. Right. So with no money, with no education, all of a sudden we become the number one export. So my thesis is that if we applied that same strategy to entrepreneurship, that we can have the same results. If we applied that same strategy to engineering or whatever industry we want, we can have the same results. But it requires an ecosystem of like-minded people who mm. want to all contribute at every level. Don't wait until you become a millionaire. You contribute here in every step of the way. So corporations, right. community leaders, entrepreneurs, owners, investors, kids, all together creating the same ecosystem that we did in the industries that were very successful. That's so true that now that you say that. Because like when we were putting together the, um, the VC Academy, because um, I'm the program director at Kemet. I don't think I said that. But um, when we're putting together and we're working with, you know, everyone at AmFam, we were talking about how people don't even know, a lot of the students don't even know what VC stands for, right? So that first layer, education. Yep. But then to look at Lacey, she's 16 years old. Uh, she was the winner of the competition today. She pitched, okay, from going from, let's just say, not knowing what VC stands for, which is, venture capital, right, which is investing. And a lot of communities kind of just teach this early on from not knowing what that means to be able to pitch her startup like as if she she were Insane. like working at Airbnb during Insane. their like fundraising. Mm-hmm. Like, so it's so important what you're talking about, that ecosystem of just understanding how important it is to invest in education, mm-hmm. just the knowing, yep. right? Like this other path exists. Mm-hmm. I, that's super important. And then, and then seeing, to go back to the point about Lacey, seeing her pitch, to me, is like seeing your team win the championship in their region, right? Yeah. You just taught these people how to do layups. Like, they just learned how to shoot a free throw for the first time. Now, look at winning the game, winning point, you know? Right. I don't watch sports, so I'm kind of winging it here. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that makes me as proud as a coach yeah. would be yeah, or yeah. NBA player to see people from their communities doing it. That's so beautiful. You gave a lot of what I feel language. So in this building, we're in the Sherman Phoenix, there's 29 businesses. And for me, when a a tenant moves out because they're growing, when a tenant um, gets bought by a major corporation, it's, it's about that ecosystem and that community of care. And so there's this call to action. What is our one shared responsibility to, to cultivate, to curate, to ensure that community of care exists? And then where are we looking to be a part of those communities of care? Like, get connected. So many times there's this individualistic way of being where I'm going to get mine and I'll meet you there and I'll see you there versus, mm, yes. how do we do this? How do we move? How do I learn? How do I regroup? I'm talking a lot about regrouping because I've closed several buildings over time, businesses Mm. over time, but I've also made millions of dollars and had, you know, multiple developments. This is just one of them. So I talk about loss in a way that I, I see what's on the other side. Yeah. So whenever I speak about loss, I speak about that there's something on the other side. And how I get to the other side, I got to the other side because I was in a community of brilliant people who believed and were committed to my personal success. Yeah, that's what's so important. I think it's important for us to talk, when we're talking to everybody here today, no matter what level you're at um, or anyone listening, it's like what we're going to do on this platform is to talk about 
our humble beginnings, our failures, the things that got us to where we're at, to where we feel we have been successful and have quote unquote failed, but not given up and exposing you to different celebrities and professionals at the highest level of their industries and giving you the secret to the test, I mean, or the, the answers to the test on how they got there. And guess what? It wasn't pretty. Because I'm so tired of that narrative. How many of you are tired of that narrative? Like, like, boom. I'm I on a jet. <laughs> boom. I'm in Maldives. You know, but I am in Maldives. I'll be out there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, like, real life is we are living that dream, yeah. right? Just like, you know, that's why we thought it was so fitting. It was all a dream. And we did get it from Biggie, yes. yes. Um, we used to read Word <laughs> Up magazine. magazine. <laughs> Salt and pepper. Heavy D. Up in the limousine, limousine. yes. <laughs> so, no. In all honesty, like, be living that life, um, we're not here to, I'm not personally here to brag about that because kind of just what Rashawn is saying is like, how do we give back more than just telling you that we're here? And I think that um, what's important that you guys know is that there's so much more coming with regards to um, the answers to the test and just a community so you can share also where you are and what you can use help with. So kind of interactivity between like the the subjects that we discuss. And in curriculum. In the curriculum, exactly. A curriculum that you could follow so that next season you're like, guess what? In the first season you said to do these three things, I did them and now, you know, here I am. So it's a true community, a community and, of care. And thanks to AmFam, you don't have to pay twenty nine ninety nine for this curriculum <laughs> <laughs> from someone who is broke. Oh, um, now, one other thing I wanted to say uh, <laughs> So this is not revolutionary in other yeah. communities. Yeah. Right. It is in our community. But I have an investor that's a billionaire, and he's a Korean guy. And he came over here because his uncle and his aunt had a mansion. They moved over from Korea a long time ago. They started a bunch of nail salons and stuff, right? So they have, like, this 10-bedroom mansion. And then they would bring five relatives a year over to the United States and let them stay in that house, learn the business, and put a business in their name. Because the U.S. government has tax credits for any foreigners who come over here and start a business because they want entrepreneurship. So they kept bringing new cousins over and could start these businesses for five years and pay zero taxes. And then at year six, they would give it to somebody else. And by the time 20 years was up, they had a hundred something family members over here. Paying it forward. They were passing all of that intellectual property mm. opportunity and space to their own people. I have an investor that's a Jewish guy, and he was explaining to me the importance of the synagogue in their community and how, yeah, it's there for religious purposes. They do a lot of business there. Right. And they introduce people who eventually wind up getting married, and it's the entire focal point of the community when it comes to business and, and social. And, uh, and social activities as well. We don't have that. We've lost we, the, we, the church we, we, yeah. used to be that. Yeah. Maybe yeah. school, but but even I from an ancestral perspective, you're bringing us back to our legacy, yeah. right? Legacy building. That's what you keep mm-hmm. point. You keep it, coming back to, to it. That. That's is, what it is. It's ours. When you talk about other communities, it's our black and brown. That's our legacy. That's mm-hmm. how, that, that's the history, right? When we think about. Folks who come to this country, they come to make. I'm looking at one of my colleagues, Maritza, who shares from American Family Insurance the the story of her father mm-hmm. who came over to make this bet. But that is a part of 
are we have to remember. Yeah. So what you're calling us to is to say, look at these other examples and remember. Yeah. Right. So this is ours. What, I have a question since we're, we're, we're on the AmFam, American Family Insurance. What do you, would you call forth in terms of the corporate responsibility? So if there are other corporate partners listening and what, you know, as an, as an agency, as an enterprise, American Family Insurance has said, we want to focus on equity. We want to focus on anything that brings us social equity, financial equity. What is the corporate responsibility? And can I just jump in and add a little sauce to that? A little bit. I'm a, okay. So... You know, I know, Rashawn, you work a lot with with uh, corporations because you're the perfect face, right? Like you've been on Wall Street, you're successful, blah, 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 blah. Um, and that all looks so pretty. You know what I mean? Like in followers, like a lot of these she people. She loves here. me. <laughs> <laughs> but what is it specifically about the relationship with American Family that you value so much versus mm. what a lot of other sponsors that you have Kind of, they just check in a box. Well, what, what's the difference for you? And, and how do you identify that? And as a community and as sponsors, and we're calling them out, um, how do you make sure that we're, that the people who are getting that, those funds are, how, how do you know whether they're doing the work or not? Yeah, yeah. Well, first and foremost, I would say that most companies who talk about social responsibilities, it's all cap. That's the first thing I would say. They're just, they have a person who has that job, but they don't empower that person to actually have an impact, but they want to be able to check that box because they're a publicly traded company and they don't want to look bad. So that's first. The second category of companies are the ones that are just clout chasing. They're just like, hey, you know, George Floyd this, George Floyd that, we need to do something about it. I literally get phone calls from folks like, hey, George Floyd happened. We need to do something. What should we do in the black community? And I'll tell them, they'll be like, ah, well, we'll, we'll keep looking. Look for something else, right? So people want to be associated with the press releases of it mm. and the sex appeal, for lack of better terms, of, of giving back. That's the second category of people. For folks like AmFam, this, this type of partnership is one that I've been seeking for 20-something years. I mean, I have partners who are doing one-off things, but no one has really listened to what the actual problem is and open to a solution that's different than that they've heard before, right? AmFam didn't say, Rashawn, how many social media followers do you have? Right. They didn't say, Rashawn, do you have 250 people working for you? There's a reason why I don't work with the larger organizations is because I think we have enough larger organizations that are doing stuff for the community. What I want to create is a groundswell of individuals who can take knowledge and pass it to their immediate surroundings. And sometimes you get lost in the sauce with the larger organizations. So the challenge that I would like to make to corporate partners in general is to listen to people on what the actual problem is from the people who suffered the problem and people who potentially have a solution to it. And then partner with them in ways that are different, not the same exact thing that you've been doing over and over and over, and empower your people internally so that they can pivot and do something different. Because you you notice, I have to constantly work with you to innovate on different ways to say the same stuff. (laughs) So she helps me from a content perspective because I've been saying invest in stocks and bonds and get insurance and start your own businesses for 22 years. Right. But not until I figure out a way to say it that makes it more relatable, understandable and relevant today, I don't get the type of feedback that I that I want to get from it. I want to have the impact, but I have to constantly stay ahead of the curve and innovate every single step of the way. 
Wow. So before we kind of wrap it up, I do want to talk about the bigger problem, which is the wealth gap in America, right? Black and brown communities and, and what we're, how, how we've suffered because of it. Um, but then also the blame that gets put back into our community as far as like, you, well, y'all are lazy. You guys aren't doing enough. You're not, but you know, we, we can go on and on about the dis, you know, the disenfranchisement of our, uh, of when we did do a lot of the community work and, you know, the breaking down of our, of our families and, and so on and so forth. But today, Rashawn, what just in specific, like specifically talking about the problem, the wealth gap in this country, what would you say is the solution? Entrepreneurship. <laughs> which is why we did the VC Academy. Entrepreneurship is one of the few things that democratizes wealth creation in this country. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will tell you that owning a home is the way to build wealth. And that's partially true. Owning a home in a white neighborhood will. Try to own a home in a hood and see what the property values of that do over the last 50 years. There are people who live in a hood who pay $20,000 for their homes 70 years ago whose homes are worth $30,000 today. Mm-hmm. So there's a very difference in the real estate value and real estate appreciating in non-black communities versus black communities. So that's, let's put that aside for a second. But it's very well known that uh, black families have one-twelfth of the wealth that white families have. There's a very specific reason for that. If we have 45 more minutes, I will walk you through every single reason why. We'll do that for another time. Hopefully, you guys invite me back. Um, <laughs> got to leave you wanting something. Can't give it all. Can't give everything. They'll never invite me back again. <laughs> um, but the solution is owning stuff, ownership. What I really liked about the young man who had the lawn care business, and you notice about me, I buy boring businesses. And 99.9% of the time, it's white, Hispanic, and Asian people who own these businesses. A HVAC business, a lawn care business, an electrical company, um, a plumbing business. These are recession-proof. Like, anybody can start them and work there. And you can employ your family and your community. Right. And we don't own those businesses. So, but the people who own those businesses who don't live in our community is living really well. Right. So, I'm a really strong advocate of owning your own business. You don't even have to work there. You just have to own it. Start it, train someone up, let them work it. Do that five times, repeat. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do have a day job, that's fine too. You can still own real estate that you don't mm-hmm. live in. You can still own a piece of a business. You can make investments. And I think that would really help spur economic development in our own communities and in our own families. And ensure your liabilities. I'd be remiss to not discuss the before we check out the importance of um, insurance because a lot of times we move and we don't cover all of the the, the bases. So right. basic infrastructure in terms of business ensure your business, ensure your life, right? And so so many of us have participated in or supported GoFundMes. But what would it look like if we spent that $23 a month mm-hmm. to ensure, to have a life insurance? So I think that's something that we don't talk about as a community. Um, the importance of building wealth but then what are the safeguards that ensure that we keep it. If you knew how many insurance policies we had, it would blow your head. Yeah. In fact, that's the first thing that Rashawn told me. I would Listen, I'm ghetto because um, when I first met Rashawn, he used to be like, I was like, 
I don't want to pay life insurance. He was like, no, you like other communities. Like this is the first thing you would have been doing out of college. This is the first thing after your parents had built up a policy for you. They would have I'm getting sentimental. Don't do that, Linnea. But after you graduate from college, they would have passed on to you what they had already started to build for you. And then you just continue it. That education, right? So we're talking about that ground level, that entry point, and the how. I didn't even know how. And I pride myself in being a, you know, smart person, right? Like a college educated, got out of the hood, being successful, but still didn't know these basic concepts. So Rashawn, you know, put me in touch with somebody and was like, that first things first. And then he opened up his insurance policy and was like, policies, with an S, it was like, look at how many I got. And I was just like, fine. But honestly, looking back, I'd be looking at how much that, how much it goes up every like couple months. I'd be like checking in because that's one, I mean, it's a form of investing. It's an investment. It's the preliminary. The most basic. You build wealth upon that most basic principle. You will be good. Yeah. And so kind of, that's one of the things that we want to talk about in, in this. We talk, we, we say it's a podcast, but it's curriculum, right? It's like the most basic how-to, right? Like how to, what is a millionaire? How to become wealthy? Um, how to start your business? The legal documents included. The insurance you should be getting on not only yourself, but your employees, then your kids. How to build wealth for your children. And not from a millionaire's perspective, but from an e- everyday kind of putting away certain amount all these things and learning from Rashawn. And then hear that it's a whole person because we, we, we inch around this conversation of there being something greater than ourselves. It's okay to, to know that there's something outside of yourself. So we're talking about this whole person's perspective because you can't, you know, become this wealth and keep the wealth if we're not focused on our mental well-being, our spiritual well-being. So how do we ground these conversations in this whole person approach? Right. Like show up as authentically who you are. And that's another thing. Be who you are in this space. Yep. Like so you and because that takes a lot of effort away from you reaching your goals. It's feeling you have to, to create a, a human being. I don't think that, I've seen two women do it either. First of all, this is amazing. Yeah. I'm really feeling yes. this vibe right now. Oh, oh my goodness. See, si. si. eso es claro. <laughs> claro que sí. There's no, not really but... random dudes sitting up here talking about it. But yes. this is great to see. Thank you for saying that, Rashawn. Yes. That's yes. very sweet. We're flattered. Yes. I am anyway. I am uh, But, you know, not only women, but just humble, right? Like, I just want to say, like, we're not coming. We're not. We want to have a conversation with you, not at you. We want to have a conversation about everything. Like, I want to put everything that I learned on the table. And hopefully there's something that can save you 20 steps right like I want you to be able to interject yourself at the point at which everything that I've learned Mm -hmm. and then apply it I I have no secrets years into days yeah so what might have taken me 10 days let's do that for you in a couple of yeah exactly yeah, hours. And, and, you I know, mean, really, because you think about what you, you, you all have created for the young folks. Yeah. You know, I had to get a coach to coach me through the seed round. And, and pay for it. De- and, pay, and I pay for it. And pay for it, and right? And so this is so, and you've done it in four weeks. And it's in the system. It's like a part of the DNA. They were so, killing it. It wasn't school. I love so here it. we are. Yeah. So I also, there was a joke that Chris Rock said that really helped us really know that this was what we should be doing. He was like, how come every time there are wealthy people that are black and brown in my neighborhood, they're the top of the top of the top of the top in their profession, 
right? Like, he's like, I live in a neighborhood with Shaquille O'Neal. And, like, I'm not going to try to do his voice because I almost went there. But, um, <laughs> like, I live in this neighborhood with the top athletes and the top actors and so on. Um, but then I live next to a dentist. <laughs> Nothing against the dentist. But he's a Jewish dentist, Right. And he has the same things that we have. They live the lifestyle um, of the quote unquote rich and famous in the black and brown communities. And I, you know, back then just laughed at it. But now come full circle. It was that I, they had generational wealth, wealth that was passed on. Yeah. That allowed them to be. They had insurance policies. <laughs> <laughs> but, but also they don't have to be two things that we have to be. Number one is perfect to make it out of our circumstances. Ooh. And number two is exceptional to beat out all of the odds against us. They can be the average dentist and yeah. live there. And we have to be like all of these stories that, that you know about me, things that I had to overcome working this, doing this. Like I had to be exceptional. Mm. And yeah. I was one mistake away from being in jail or dead mm. every day. So when you don't have those things, yeah, you can live in a great neighborhood and be a dentist. And, and then when you start these families... And you didn't, you weren't raised with all of that trauma. You're able to be a better dad and a better husband. Mm -hmm. You know how many dudes like me who are successful, but internally that mental health, mm -hmm. that emotional health from things from 25 years ago, yeah. negatively impacting my ability to be a better father and a better husband. So they didn't have to do all of those things, but we had to. Right. And that's what we're here to say. We're breaking those ceilings, right? Those glass ceilings, we're kind of, we're, we're breaking them. We're saying community is the answer. Education is the answer. Giving away this, you know, the answers to the test is the answer and just creating a safe space so that people could come to the table with their own their own um, experiences and feel safe to share them in a space that we can all collaborate on uh, answers and not only answers, just uh, it could be therapeutic therapy. Yes. OK, well, thank I you, the mic, because yeah. that was my um, attempt at dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, did it work? It works. It works. It works. So this is a beautiful moment. It was all a dream. This is episode one of one of many. Yes. So here we are. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. And thank you, Rashawn. Thank you, Rashawn. For investing. Mm -hmm. And you. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> what do we need to be? Um, uh, we do not own the rights to this music. Right, right. <laughs> Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> this yeah. wild is a come for us. All right. Mm -hmm. That's what's Thank great. You all right. Thank all right. you all. <laughs>